0: this is the off-duty on-duty podcast episode number 23 i'm your host brian eastridge welcome to the podcast part of the concealed podcast network the off-duty on-duty podcasts we tackle topics relevant to today's gun owners and we take them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and a perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm happy to announce I'm going to be joined by one Rob Latham, aka TGO, the winningest competition shooter in history. I do believe we can back that one up. And we are going to, we're going to change the format up a little bit. This is going to be a little more entertainment, not geared necessarily toward cops or towards concealed carriers, but just, it's going to be a Q and a, I'm going to throw Rob some Q and a, and it's going to be a wide range of topics. And what I did this week is I solicited, uh, for topics or, or questions from, uh, some of my law enforcement pals and from some of my concealed carrying pals. So not a complete departure from the, uh, Standard format of the show, but it's going to be primarily a Q and a, so thanks to everybody that submitted questions and, uh, let's get to the sponsors today. Well, since it's Rob Latham, we got to talk shot timers, right? This episode is brought to you by range tech, Bluetooth shot Timers. Every serious shooter should have a shot timer to measure speed along with accuracy on the range. The new RangeTech Bluetooth timer is the most affordable high-tech and most feature-rich timer on the market. $25 less than any competing shot timer, the RangeTech timer connects to your phone via Bluetooth and gives you the accuracy and power of a dedicated shot timer along with the advantages of online storage, auto-scoring, and much, much more. Learn more at rangetechtimer.com. Also, of course, every week, EDC Belt Company, Home of the Foundation Belt, the maker of the Foundation Belt, the most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market. Check them out at edcbeltcode.com. And our newest sponsor, CCW Safe, subscription service for concealed carriers in the industry. And we are proud to offer you a 10% discount. They've been... They have been kind enough to offer the Off Duty On Duty Podcast a ten percent discount if you'll go to ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty ten. Off duty one zero. All right, guys, let's bring in our guest TGO. All right, Rob. How is lovely Arizona today?
1: Terrible today. I just came back shooting sporting clays with some buddies of mine. Yesterday was PRS. Today was shotgun, sporting clays, and tomorrow's pistols. Living the dream, but it was terrible weather. It was 75 today. Oh, thanks. I know. I mean, it's so cold that I barely wanted to go outside. <laughs> so you actually have to put on long <laughs> pants for a 75 degree no, no, day? No, 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 no. No, it was shorts.
0: <laughs> well, cool. Well, we, uh, we kind of talked in the pre-show there a little bit. This is just, we're going to change the format of the show up a little bit and just do some just Q and a, and I solicited, like I said earlier, some, some, my top cop instructor buddies and my top civilian, like LEO or not LEO instructors, but like concealed carriers, armed citizen guys, Mm -hmm. some, uh, Mm -hmm. questions. So. I'm going to
1: nothing from Riley though. Right. Nothing from Riley. There
0: was, and we'll just get that one out of the way. It was, (laughs) what is your (laughs) favorite, what is your favorite root beer was Riley Bowman's profound question. So,
1: well, and that's important Uh, right now. I mean the mass produced stuff, A&W is my fave. Uh, Sometimes barks when I need that freaking hit. Right. Right. Uh, but other, other than that, uh, Henry Weinhart's is good stuff too.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm like a Sioux city guy. I don't know why. I oh, that's
1: that. good stuff. No, that's good stuff. I can take that. We don't normally get that here. I don't see that often in Arizona. Uh,
0: well, I may, uh, I may, uh, box up a treat for you later this evening.
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome.
0: So my good friend, Scott Sanders is a longtime law enforcement, uh, firearms instructor, And he says, when you're teaching a clinic or class or whatever, what are like the big things that you look to correct with a shooter? Which is kind of a loaded question, but.
1: Yeah, it's, that's okay. Loaded questions are okay. Um, I look to fix and help whatever I see. So um, I'm not necessarily looking for any, you know, specific thing. But I got to be honest with you, normally, if you if you have, look at the student with open eyes and look at them and see what you think is correctable and what needs to be fixed and what's worth the time, what the worst problem is, it just kind of jumps out at you. you. know, It's it's not like uh, in a normal class, I don't, we're a beginner level, but it, it, beyond that, I don't really have that agenda of we're going to do this, and do this, then 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 this. Then this. I, I, we have a foundation, and I build a foundation of understanding because they need to – it's really for them to understand me. We have to create a dialogue so that they understand the words I'm saying um, because I may not use terminology that's popular with everybody. So I kind of look for what the biggest problem is, and sometimes it's not obvious. I mean, so it seldom comes down to the – to the you know focusing on the front side or, or pin in the trigger and squeeze it there's usually other bigger problems. so so to answer the question, I look for whatever the worst thing is and different people have different problems you know, we, we've, we've created a generation of shooters that have similar issues uh, just because of the direction the training has gone um, but I see everything. I mean I I see you see it all we see people who are good shots and don't hold the gun the way I would call right. But if they're shooting well enough and there's something else worse, I'm not going to address. I'm not going to waste time on that. You know, know, one thing that we've gotten really good at, Brian, is we draw well. The process of drawing the gun, we're way better now than we used to be at that. So I hardly ever have to address at the remedial level an experienced shooter's draw. They're usually pretty good, so much so that it's not worth the time.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Okay, dig it. We're kind of gonna bounce back and forth between like some that ha- are rot with humor. I think uh, humor that,
1: is a necessity
0: in training. I if you don't have agree. that,
1: then it's gonna be miserable the whole time.
0: So, uh, my good friend David Enmark, he said, "What is the dumbest trend you've ever seen take take hold in your your forty plus years of shooting?"
1: Well, it used to be that that the solution to all problems was focusing on the front side. But I think that's being equal to or overtaken by this pin the trigger to the rear, recover the sights, point the gun at the target, and release the trigger real slow until it clicks. And so you don't have excessive finger movement on the trigger. I think that's now become the bane of this generation shooting um, because while there's a purpose to do that. And there's something that that actually covers. It's very seldom that the instructor forcing somebody to do that understands what the purpose of that technique is and therefore makes you apply it all the time instead of when it's appropriate. Um, so right now I probably fight trigger trigger manipulation. Uh I wouldn't say it's erroneous because they're doing exactly what they're trying to do. They're just trying to run when they need to walk, or walk when they're trying to run. So, so I think that's the thing right now. It's my biggest thing.
0: So, what about gear-wise? You know, because I remember watching the old videos of uh, you guys shooting like sixty-four port comps and you mm-hmm. know, this stuff like that. What do you think the along those lines? Something as far that as caught, equipment,
1: what's gotten silly?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I think, well, from, from, I gotta, I gotta look at it from a couple different standpoints for, from the the recreational shooter. It doesn't matter how stupid it is. It doesn't matter. Cause there's not a real site to it. He's out shooting for fun. So I don't care what he shoots. Right. Um, optical sight thing was something that 10 years ago, I would have said, this is stupid. And now I'm quite the opposite. I mean, if Completely a one eighty because I have a better understanding of its use in the bigger world, other than just the competition world. Uh, the open class pistols that we shoot in, like say USPSA or ipsic or something like that, mm-hmm. they're they're stupid because they're fundamentally a little rifle, right? Because so you got a little rifle, so you got a gun that's this big, right? We're going to call it a pistol. It's as legitimately a pistol as an AR pistol is a pistol. Right, right. It's kind of that. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. So it's it's missed the the point of a pistol is portability and quick use, right? So if you have to have a holster that's this big to carry a pistol that's this big, its application from the sporting use is legit. I mean, it absolutely is, but it has very little crossover. Having said that, anything that reduces the gun's recoil and muzzle flip is good, as long as it's suitable for the application. So I still don't want my carry gun to have a you know, I don't want to. I don't want an XDS with a three-inch barrel and a three-inch comp on it, right? I, I don't right. want that, and I don't want a frame-mounted optic. But I do have optic sights on almost all my carry guns now. Yeah. Um. Simply part of it's because I'm old, and it solves some vision problems. From my vision problems are not dude are based on age because you know, ten years ago I had good eyes, twenty years ago I had fantastic eyes. So I didn't. There was a, a minute. Minimum gain for them, But now as, as the age thing takes effect, the glasses I need to my daily wear stuff, I can see the optical sight perfectly and I can't see the iron sight. So, I mean, there's an actual application for it. So, as the gun sights get more durable and smaller, there's a thing there. So, I would have said that was stupid. So, right now, I think an opto- optical sight, if you understand what it is, is a great thing. I think capacity is being played really hard at this day and age. I think in the real world, and this is just my opinion. So I'm not representing anybody sponsors or supporters or anything else. I think we put way, way too much emphasis on the capacity and the number of rounds we shoot at something as opposed to the number of hits we put on something. Um, So I don't really care right now if my carry gun holds eight rounds in the magazine and I have two magazines in my pocket of equal capacity or greater. I feel well armed with that as long as I can hit I feel well armed if I can hit something with it so the competition world doesn't have to be usable the concealed carry world and in your case like the duty gear duty gear in the next few years is going it will be going through the same rapid changes it's getting now and I know I'm rambling on and on but 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 we have tend to look for gimmicks to resolve marksmanship problems that aren't really there. I mean, the, 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 I should, shouldn't say that aren't solvable. You know, if you get 20 rounds because I can't hit a target in 10 rounds, my problem isn't okay. Well, I need 30 rounds. And my gun. I, we got to learn how to hit things again. We got to put my back in it somewhere. Okay. How's that for a loop starting over here and ending outside the 360. That,
0: that was excellent. And it actually uh completely, answered some of the questions that some people you probably know asked but uh this one comes from brother larry vickers Uh, i spoke to Mm -hmm. him earlier and he said will you ever fly in a helicopter with me larry
1: never get in a helicopter with larry vickers larry vickers is a ground magnet if you get in a helicopter with him the best you can hope for is what they call a hard landing (laughs) now to you and i that's called a crash but larry's Larry's like like the like the Bermuda triangle of hard landings for helicopters. No, never get in a helicopter with Larry Vickers. As long as it takes off. You're okay to sit on one on the ground and shoot out of it. For God's sakes, don't go in the air. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> if I can compose myself, we'll go to the yeah. next one. <laughs> oh, and Larry said hi, by the way. So uh, uh, yeah. All right. David and Mark again, uh, what shooter or instructor have you learned the most from?
1: That's a, I don't know that I've ever been asked that before. I think I've learned more shooting wise, probably from shooter would be Brian Ennis in our early days in the eighties, because the two of us were, You know, we both both saw the same thing and wanted the same thing, but we were coming at it from exact opposite direction. You know, Brian never missed and had to learn how to go fast. And I never hit and had to learn how to, you know, it's always fast and had to learn how to hit things. So we came from complete different directions. So in those formative years, our discussions and you had to understand that in that time, I didn't have a lot of, Distractions or complications in my life. I shot and I went to work, and I shot and I went to work, and I shot and went to work. So the time that was not spent there was usually talking about shooting with people. I mean, the the shooting's just really been my life. So one, and I learned so much from Brian simply because I was able to see that the what I was trying to do wasn't going to be successful in a wide variety of, of applications. It was only going to be successful in a narrow range. So I had to learn how to shoot one day, you know, and that was basically practicing with Brian and seeing Brian never miss and being so consistent that when we practice, I never beat him in practice. We never beat him in practice. He always beat me. Well, he would be the most from, from, from instructors. Well, I don't know if this sounds cocky or not, but I really haven't had very many instructors. I've never actually attended a shooting class because I think that's what we were doing when we were practicing. When we go out and shoot, with the, and I was really fortunate, right place at the right time, Brian. You know, shooting with Brian and then some of the locals in the Arizona area. And we had such a strong group of shooters that when we'd shoot, whether it be a match or just a a training day, um, you had – Top level people, so you could watch them and see what they were doing, and still like that today here. Uh, and if you were attentive to what you saw happening, you'd have to be a dummy not to learn something from it. The hard part was applying, but but recognizing, and that's probably a cop out answer because I don't really have an instructor. I've learned more from my students than I have from any other instructor. I watch the students shoot and when I see them shoot on things every class, I learn a new thing that I just overlooked and it took for granted. That might be a better 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 way of saying it.
0: Yeah. I've uh, I've I've given out I can't tell you how many copies of Brian's book to guys that are kind of plateaued in the shooting in the traditional They're sense. They're stuck. That's mm-hmm. made it's made a yeah. profound impact on a lot of my peers. Um that's when you go ahead
1: well when when people get to a position where what they're doing becomes uh, they can't get beyond what where they are they know there's more for them and they're stuck because they can't do what they're doing well enough Only sometimes should you try to do what you're doing better. Sometimes it's another thing you need to do. It's like jerking the trigger. I mean, if you want to shoot fast, you jerk the trigger. If you want to shoot accurately, learn how to jerk the trigger without moving the gun. Well, that sounds really simple, but there's there's a negative word in there that all shooters, you know, they they hear the word jerk and in any application think it's negative. I just use it as a, a term to describe a method of pulling the trigger quickly and violently and fast. And if you want to change the word, change the word, but jerk is descriptive of the action and all the good shooters jerk the trigger really good. I mean, all the fast ones do because it's fast. So right. learn how to jerk it without moving the gun. Now you're accurate. Let's
0: see. Hanny McMood, uh, my, my, my brother from Texas, Hanny who sends his regards also, he says, What do you most enjoy shooting that most people don't know? Shotgun, PRS, steel, Bianchi cup, plinking. What what, what is something that somebody would be surprised to know that you enjoy shooting?
1: Probably uh, spend more time in the last COVID year shooting PRS rifles than anything else. Um, I I think most pistol shooters adapt to shotgun shooting pretty quickly. So that's probably not a real shock for them. Um, but I love the challenge of shooting PRS because I'm so bad at it. Um, it's, it's, it's so difficult for someone that has tried to figure out in their life how to do everything in the least amount of time and to the degree where we can allow some error. Cause I can shoot a fast C or in a fight, I could shoot you right here instead of right here. And if I do this faster, it's, it's, it's not necessarily negative to the outcome. Same as in a match. And in PRS, that is not the case. It is hit or miss on the target and being close doesn't matter if you miss by 20 feet or miss by a quarter of an inch. So the precision side of it is so stringent, not that it's necessarily hard, but it's so stringent that it's a hit miss game. There's no X 10, nine, eight. It's, it's, it's a hit or a miss. And some of the positions are so difficult for me to get into that I realize at this point, after a couple of years of doing it, I'm never going to be a steady somebody who can bend their knees and put their their butt cheek on their heel I, I can't do it so the challenge of finding a way which is what drove me in pistols at the beginning too was a way to get a performance as there was that was as good as i could be even though i couldn't do it the way other people did it like i didn't i don't hold the gun the way and pistols i don't hold a gun the way somebody else might have told me all the people that helped me at the beginning of the shooting career i don't hold the gun like they told me to i don't hold my arm position my balance isn't the same my focus isn't the same i don't pull the trigger the same but there was a starting point and that's where i'm at in, in prs i'm still trying to figure out ways that work for me when i can't do the things that my little buddy travis can do i physically can't do it big old fact i can't do it all right cool
0: Uh, What is, uh, this one came from Hanny also. He said, what's the most important lesson that you've learned in shooting in the past 35 plus years?
1: Oh, probably the ability to perform on demand under pressure. Um, It's not winning matches. Winning matches was never really my goal anyway. It It was to shoot as well as I could, and then that took care of itself. So in the process, I won a lot of matches. But I think the ability to perform on demand right now, put me on the line right now and make me do a thing right now. I think that's that's probably the biggest thing I've gotten out of it. Uh, I don't need perfect circumstances. I don't need to be relaxed. I've learned to deal with those situations and perform as well as possible, regardless of the uh, situation. Or my physical condition or my mental condition and that's something i try to i strive for my students to understand is this isn't about relaxing and being comfortable because like in a fight for instance i've never been in a fight that i felt like i was relaxed i mean i mean every single time you know you're on the ground and someone's you know trying to strangle you or doing jiu-jitsu or any other organized type of fight even boxing I, I'm not the guy that sits there and I'm I'm not Cassius Clay. I mean, I'm the guy that's loosey goosey. I mean, I'm the guy that's like this, right? So it's it's kind of a different thing. So I just stopped trying to learn how to relax. I just learned how to perform when I was nervous. And it became so much easier to do that. It was so much easier to learn how to hit a target when I was nervous. And then I don't care if I'm nervous now. So probably that piece of information is probably the, the biggest thing I've ever gained from from shooting.
0: Yeah. So when I interviewed uh, our our mutual bud, uh, Robbie Vattis, he said, uh, he said, mm-hmm. you know, I learned more about shooting PPC from Rob Latham than I did Philip Hemphill. And he said, because of the performance on demand factor. And he took that as a huge takeaway. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that answer. That's really sage.
1: All the, all the really good guys, what the only thing that separates them from the, there are a whole bunch of people that mechan, let's use mechanically skilled are the same, but not all of them can walk to the line right now in a circumstance that they're uncomfortable in and put a performance in. it. Some people could, Um, Mickey Fowler was probably one of the greatest when it came to that, um, Mickey Fowler. And he explained to me one time that the way he felt he was doing it is he went up there, he walked on the line and it's like he just pulled shower curtain around himself and he's the only one here, him and the target. And so he was able to block things out like that. Some people do it differently. Doug Koenig has the ability to block out all external stimulus for an extended period of time, like no other shooter I've ever known. Um, for me, I can't do it for great periods of time. So I only try to learn how to do it in very short periods of time. So meaning when you tell me load, make ready, that's when I start getting into the game. When you say standby, now I'm in it. I'm in it for whatever number of seconds I have to be in it. Mm -hmm. And I can't extend that and be serious the whole time. So, uh, but that's, you know, being able to figure out how to do it right now on demand, when you call me up, that's, that's it.
0: Yeah. Robbie also asked in, uh, this, of course, is not a serious question, but it could be. He said, ask uh, ask Rob Latham what flavor of ice cream I should get to celebrate my seventh. Rocky Road. <laughs> my, Rocky oh, he didn't Road. finish. He said to yeah, celebrate Rocky his Road. seventh metallic Bianchi victory. <laughs> Rocky Road. Rocky, Ro- okay,
1: Rocky well, Road. Okay, well, that answers. Absolutely. Rock, Rocky Road's my favorite of all the ice cream flavors, so it's going to be Rocky Road.
0: Yeah, he he. I I think he wanted to needle you with that one. I don't think he was expecting like such a uh, finite answer right off well, the
1: bat. But. You know, yeah, but that's that's in a perfect world. I get Rocky Road. I can make do with almost any. Perfect. I have that. I have that 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 ability to adapt to vanilla,
0: <laughs> to a less than optimal circumstance, and
1: exactly. and perform
0: on demand.
1: It's, it's, I could still come through and eat that vanilla. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, oh, I love me. I love me some raw badass. <laughs> oh man.
0: All right. Hanny McMood says, uh, what's the most glaring mistake you see with other with other firearms instructors? What's the the number one for you most like spotlighted glaring mistake you see people make?
1: Teaching a concept uh that they don't necessarily understand and or believe. Simply as a a continuation of that's what I was told, and that's what I'm telling the next guy. Um, is that's what some if I if I made all my students do the stupid shit that I got told to do and that I did do in my formative years, you'd take as much time to figure out how to choose it took me, and I, I think we have a tendency as an instructor especially that you need a safety net to fall back on that doesn't require saying like right here and now i have to figure out something with this guy right i have to figure out what's going on right here so the safety net is to drop back and say oh man you obviously you didn't see the sights clearly or you must have been jerking the trigger or you must have you know you your grip isn't proper your balance position I, i think I think it's 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 those things. And there's a number of actual items. I mean, this whole concept, for instance, of focus on the front site. That's the dumbest thing ever. There's going to be positions and situations. You can't focus on the front site. You can't. It's not logical to do it. And it's not even possible or necessary. But we have told people that that is the thing you have to do. The reality, that's, that has an application and it falls in a certain area, right? And there is a place that it's necessary, but to say every single time your failure was that you didn't see the sight clearly, it is, that's stupid. Same as like, oh, you jerked the trigger. Well, when you do, when you aim the gun at the target and you do this, Brian, I don't really care if you aim and I don't care if you jerk the trigger or not. If you're moving the gun out of alignment, I it really doesn't matter what you do.
0: Last one was from Dave and Mark. He says, uh, how has, aging vision because he's kind of coming into that age where his vision's starting mm-hmm. to give him some issues as am I obviously mm-hmm. by the glasses. Mm-hmm. He said, how's that mm-hmm. changed your training or your practice and how have you adapted to it?
1: Well, um, most of us that came from really good eyes, like I did, I came from, you know, I was 2005 when I was 20 years old. So, wow. I mean, I was beyond exceptional and as as, it, as you fight it, you, first off, your, your ego hates the concept that you have to make correction that you're losing something. And as soon as you can get over that and realize, well, your goal now is to shoot as good as you can. If it requires correction, you use it. Um, the optical sight and the changing of the vision hasn't changed my training, but has drastically changed my equipment. Because if I'm shooting iron sights, the glasses I'm now using to effectively shoot iron sights in a competition environment because let's face it there's two different worlds that means i can walk up the range i can walk over to the safety area i can put my shooting glasses on that that i could see microbes with right here but i can't see you 10 yards away clear enough to know who you are right because they have a specific uh a, a focal job point. to do mm-hmm. and then i put exactly and then i put my my gun in i've gone through You'd have to ask the guys at at DECO. Uh, Rob could tell you, uh, uh, Rob Lewis, I've probably gone through probably close to 15 or 16 different prescription changes because I'm looking for something else. And everything's a compromise. When your eyes aren't perfect, everything's a compromise. And what's changed is there would have been a time that I would have always preferred to shoot the close targets and then the fire targets because my eyes could do focal changes so rapidly that I didn't really care. But this is with iron sights. And to the degree now where my eyes are slow to focus from near to far. So if I'm looking for things up close, especially with glasses that don't allow me to see anything clearly very far, my focal time changes from near targets to far targets are much slower than they used to be. But my far to near is really unchanged. So now I would shoot targets far to near where I normally would have probably preferred to shoot them near to far. Unless I'm using an optical sight, in which case the difference is less and less, but I still focus slower from near to far. So from a training standpoint, very little has changed. If you let me put on my fancy glasses and I shoot my optical sight, and my iron sights, it's really not a huge difference in my performance. But at the end of the day, one of them is way easier to use once you become a master of the application of the optical sight. And it has a much wider range of application than iron sights do for me now.
0: Okay, yeah, we're we're starting to see a lot of, uh, especially in the law enforcement community, a lot of push and transitions towards optical sights, and it's going to be more. I, I think it's so as well. Just see
1: more of it. Yeah. Well, think about this. Let me ask you a question. How long ago was it that your patrol rifle did not have an optical sight on it? Did you ever have a patrol rifle that didn't have an optical sight on it?
0: I still carry one without an optical sight, um, but the option has been available since the program's infancy.
1: Okay, so this—that's good. So why do you not have the optic sight? Why do me why?
0: Why do I not? Yeah, the the primary reason these days is I'm assigned to a bicycle patrol unit, so Mm -hmm. the chances of me a deploying with a rifle are next to none. And B, my yeah. my personal performance times, and I'm talking in that that patrol rifle and Reasonable, appl- shots. reasonable mm-hmm. shots in basically 50 mm-hmm. yards and in, my performance mm-hmm. difference is negligible still with my vision with a rifle. So for me, right. the So
1: you get you get nothing out of it. Right. You get nothing out of the optical sight, so you don't need it. It doesn't help you a bit.
0: Right. and, and I can i I don't know, I've been shooting AR platforms for twenty five years, and mm-hmm. there's you know when you apply the 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 old army standard basic rifle marksmanship mm-hmm. to trying to get inside mm-hmm. of fifty yards and get combative once you learn there is a finite difference between those two applications, for mm-hmm. me, the optical sight didn't the juice wasn't worth the squeeze at the time, squeeze. but as my eyes age. I'm starting to go. Okay, which one of these optics am I going to have to put on a, a gun I don't own?
1: Right. Exactly. And there'll, there'll be a crossover time, and the, the period. That, and and you're probably intelligent enough to recognize when the performance leans dramatically one way or the other that you go that way. Right. And for the person that doesn't doesn't need an optical sight, it doesn't give them anything.
0: Yeah. And I haven't
1: seen, Brian. I haven't seen a. I haven't seen a. a a military guy now in decades that didn't have optical sights on the guns. It's just part of the, it's part of the loadout now. So it's,
0: yeah, it, it was when I was, when I was assigned out at Fort Bragg, that was the, the infancy of the early aim point in 68. Yeah. yeah. And, and
1: now you just, you never see anything about, they don't, they it's just part of it,
0: it now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's now, it's, it's now integrally designed into it. We're, you know, right now we're probably, you, you say you're seeing, a lot more application for optical sights in like duty weapons for handguns. Uh, we're going to have this discussion again in five years. Yeah, and it's going to be wow. You remember when this wasn't common, and then the generation that the, that that comes after us will not understand not having an optical sight on the gun. They simply go like, "Wow, you guys didn't have optical sights on your pistols,
0: right?" Yeah, um, and, and I I had uh, I had on philip infill's recommendation in 2006 i had laser corrective surgery on my eyes oh nice i'm scared well he uh we had this conversation at the 50 after we'd shot match 350 yard line and he goes he goes man you're a great shooter but you got to get your eyes fixed and he was shooting next to me at a match and when we went down and looked at at our our You know B twenty sevens. He goes. You see this six shot group here. That's your right hand barricade. This one here is your prone because you're seeing the sights different every time.
1: And distance, the distance you are to the gun makes a big difference.
0: It does. And (laughs) but the amazing thing was he he had shot a out of fifteen hundred. He'd shot a fourteen ninety eight at that match, and Mm -hmm. he was cognizant of what I was doing shooting next to him. It was it was Mm -hmm. the craziest moment, but. And I, I said, well, I'm nervous to get laser correction. And he goes, well, son, this is the best you're ever going to be if you don't. And that I was right, like, he's... well, it's either all in or I'm done. But one way or the other, I'm not going to yeah. get any better. So right, uh, right. No,
1: but, that's, that's so true.
0: But the trade-off yeah. with it for pistol optics is if I use an exposed emitter optic, I get a starburst because I have a minor astigmatism. Oh. Which complicates the process even more. Sure. And honestly, I can't tell a huge performance difference in reasonable handgun distance yet with irons versus optics. Uh but but I've started to explore it, whereas other people are probably years ahead of me, but uh they're
1: wait you you don't. you don't need to do it if you don't need to do it i mean that's the point if you're can if you're getting the performance i can still hit almost anything i see even though i can't see the sights clearly right but i can do it easy more easily if i can see the sights clearly and the only way for me to do that is either have an optical sight Mm -hmm. or have uh have a lot of correction in my glasses
0: yeah that uh that's been a Kind of a hard road for me, but I, I really appreciate the industry's advancements in the last three to four years. Because I kind of looked at it like I remember watching the uh, USPSA nationals on one of Lenny McGill's VHSs years ago when when mm-hmm. Jerry Barnhart showed up with a holocyte. The
1: optical side. yeah, mm-hmm. on and uh, it's about ninety, I think. It's either eighty-nine or ninety, 18, yeah, yeah, somewhere in that year. And yeah, that
0: all these guys that are kind of new into the shooting community are like, Oh, this new concept of a red dot handgun. And I'm like, no, it's been out for 30 years, but we haven't seen a huge technological leap until probably what, like the last five somewhere in there. I think
1: every, every, yeah, probably, probably some of the stuff you're seeing right now isn't even five years old, you know, eight point acros and SROs and shields and some of those sites of current variations are, are maybe only a season or two yeah. too old. But I think but I think we're in that, you know, electronics, that goes through a period of electronics by the time they introduce something. Sure. Uh, they've already got its replacement in the works, and they're working through generations beyond that. So if they could give you what they're working on now, you'd skip several generations. I think we're going to get like that with the optical side, and I think we're going to see a lot of advancement in a very short amount of time. Um, but but to, to be clear to anybody that, that's hearing this, it's not a solution for everything. No. It is an aid for vision and, op- and, and advancement or the help that the optical site can give you um, is information where the gun's pointing, the ease of aiming and things, you know, you can make all the argument for it, but there's a cost. It's harder to use. Optical sites, not easier to use than iron sights. It's harder to use. And if you've got a marksmanship problem that isn't based on vision or aiming as a, as a coarser way of saying it. Yeah, optical sight isn't a solution. It's it can't be.
0: Man, I, I appreciate your input on that. Uh, and and thanks so much for taking I don't know, we're thirty five minutes here. I I know you're like you shoot like every day. So I appreciate you every carving. Maybe I
1: can get to the range <laughs> oh, you can I I love talking guns. And when you know, like I said, in those early days when I wasn't shooting, we were talking. That's yeah that's really not any different now, but the little group I hang around with, I mean, we're, this is what we do. We're gun people. And it's this endless search, you know, who knows what's next.
0: Well, I always give, uh, give every guest on the show, a final thought, a time to do a final thought. So let's maybe gear it towards, uh, let's say somebody that's that's new and invested in, uh, you know, the defensive application of a handgun, what would be the one piece of advice you would give somebody that's relatively new, relatively new to defensive handgun shooting?
1: Don't buy into the junk. Don't buy a bunch of, don't buy a bunch of stuff. It's not going to help you get a solid gun. Uh, There are lots and lots of good guns available now. Uh, Don't buy into spending your money on porting and fancy finishes and stippling and stuff instead of learning how to manipulate and operate whatever it is you've got i don't i don't care what pick your platform i don't care what it is and then spend so much time with it that you literally memorize the operation of the gun the board, how what the trigger feels like what it takes to, to to fire the gun whether that be dry firing or live fire Learn how to be able to grasp the gun immediately and hold it in a manner that you can point the gun at the target. See, a lot of people don't do that. You shoot a lot, so you know you draw the gun and you kind of look at a target and put your hands out there and the gun's pointed target. A new guy never develops that. He doesn't do the hundreds, if not, would it be safe to say tens of thousands for somebody like you and I, of draws. Yeah. And in the drawing process, we're learning how to, to to go from not touching to touching the gun, gripping the gun, drawing the gun, presenting the gun, holding the gun, aiming the gun, and things like that. I think a lot of people, you know, sit and they 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 want to spend their money on stuff that's going to look cool. And if they'll spend their time becoming so familiar with their platform that they, they can draw the gun and close their eyes. And open their eyes and the guns pointed at the target, maybe not perfect, but pointed at the target, building that muscle memory so that shooting becomes no more difficult than walking is, right, which is super complex. If people would put in that effort, they would see dramatic improvements in their performances and their skills, and that's where the effort needs to go. There's no no shortcut to it, and the best cross-training for shooting is shooting, you know. It doesn't matter how you can put up put up 350 today, even I don't care. Can you draw the gun and point it in the dark and have it be pointed at a target? That's a skill you're gonna to need to be a shooter.
0: Well, thanks for your time. Thanks again, Rob. I'm gonna roll us out. All right. Q and A with TGO. Man, I want to again say another thanks to Riley Bowman for connecting me with Robbie. And uh Thanks, Rob, again for coming on the show. A reminder please check out today's sponsors Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timers, EDC Belt Company, and of course, concealed <laughs> ConcealedCarry.com. Of course, our podcast host, yes, uh, CCW Safe, off duty, on duty podcast. We can offer you 10% off your membership to CCW Safe ccwsafe.com forward slash off-duty 10. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions. Follow all firearm safety rules. Consult with a competent firearms instructor and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.